This episode of Agitator is brought to you by Fable Beast Design. All your graphic design needs, book covers, album covers, etc. Go hit up AA Medina at fablebeastdesign.wordpress.com. He's having a huge sale right now on pre-made book covers, doing a gallery dump to make room for all the other shit that he's got in the works. So snatch that deal while you can. Also, hit him up for custom commissions. You know over here at Agitator, we are men of integrity. We don't co-sign anybody we don't actually use. Y'all seen the Ghost of East Baltimore by David Simmons cover? That thing is selling on the streets like hotcakes. It is selling out of tattoo shops and black-owned bookstores all across Baltimore on its way to becoming an independent, chart-topping bestseller. A lot due to that beautiful cover that A.A. Medina just pulled off so perfectly. David sent him the prompts. He put together this masterpiece. So yeah, official Agitator stamp of approval. When you hit him up for a custom order, tell him that the Agitator Boy sent you, you'll get 20% off both pre-made covers and custom commissions. FableBeastDesign.wordpress.com For further deals and design tips, go to patreon.com slash FableBeastDesign. You're doing good. You said it's cold as fuck where you are. Yeah, it's cold in London today. I had a burrito bowl for dinner with habanero chili jam. That was mm-hmm. awesome. Um, yeah, been working on spreadsheets all day. <laughs> That's super fucking expect. I have this. Uh, you're not American, but I have this term on the show spreadsheet Americans because I feel like they're a very specific class of people. But you mm-hmm. like you like all that shit though, right? You like organizing and. You have a bullet journal. I know that. I do have a bullet journal. Yeah. It's like, it was bait. I made that video and I knew it was going to be like the most popular thing I've ever put on the internet. Well, not quite, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so and I made just... a bullet journal video just because <laughs> I was like, one, I didn't know how to edit video. So I was like, oh, I'm going to make a video. I'm going to do it about bullet journal because like all those bullet journal YouTubers get tens of thousands of hits. Yeah. Yeah. How much, how much do you think about that? So Jay, just really briefly for listeners, right? You have a podcast, it's called 301. Each episode is five minutes. You talk about all sorts of different subjects, pretty much whatever tickles your fancy that day or that yep. week is what gets put into the podcast. You're a prolific blogger. Um, yours is one of the only blogs that I read the second it hits my inbox. I'm like, oh shit, new Jay dropped. It's time to go check that out. That's very uh, sweet. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I'm not blowing smoke. Though. I mean, it's really good stuff. It's uh. And yeah, then, but you uh, wrote the Broken River blog like daily all through the, all through the dark times, man. That was awesome. I really enjoyed Thanks. that shit. I'm glad you liked it. That got me canceled, uh, because <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was dashing a post off in 15 minutes. It's always these ones, right? And in that post, I had a very flimsy paragraph where I was defending Alex Jones. Uh, Basically the whole point being that like, you know, if you go after this guy for what his fans do, then where does that snowball stop snowballing? And uh, people did not like that at all. This was at sort of the height of Alex Jones's Hitler phase, you know? And I didn't- As opposed to Kanye's. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah, now, now it's him. But, I didn't think anything of it when I pressed publish on that. It was another day of yeah. needing the blog content and it just 
it didn't really didn't really work out. So you did that. I first encountered you on Rune Soup. You'd made a video about your prayer schedule. It was a yeah. some kind of prayer video. Um, yeah, I did make that. I remember mm -hmm. I'd forgotten about that actually. I wonder how many people a... have, how many people have watched it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good stuff because you're big into prayer meditation. You had a great three hundred one recently about something you learned about meditation, which is that you know if you don't do something with the meditation, then what's the point of yeah. sitting there for ten years? Basically, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the conclusion that I came to. Yeah. But I mean, there's just, there's, there's so much shit. We're talking today about uh, Hajime no Ippo, which is a manga that has run for 134 Tankuban volumes. It's by George Murakawa and it is a boxing manga. Neither Jay yeah. nor I are boxers. So far as I know, do you have boxing experience? <laughs> <laughs> you know that, you know, it sold a hundred million copies. It's like I the seventh it. biggest manga ever. Oh, I believe it. I believe, and it's funny to me the way that that industry seems to work. Because I was listening to a podcast on my drive back from Taos about uh, Eiichiro Oda, who does One Piece. And first of all, his work schedule is insane. He said he bet. claims to sleep three hours a night. He sees his kids once a week, but he also makes twenty six million dollars a year, and. Uh, has the most popular not just manga but comic book that's ever been written but it is mm -hmm. interesting how these artists whether it's kentaro miura with uh berserk um or oda with one piece or murakawa with uh, hajime no ippo they seem to find the one thing and they're like okay this is my this is my life's work now i'm telling this boxing story for the rest of my life yeah, I was reading about the history of um, the history of it in the late 80s about how he, he had a go at doing a Formula One um, manga strip in Shonen and um, it didn't work out. He did. A, he had a couple of, of, of goes before someone was like, oh, this is your last chance kind of thing. Like, why don't you right. do it about bo do it about boxing? I think it was just like he was told. And then um, in this, I think it was an interview quote from him. He was just he just said that. You can actually find the picture on the internet. He just drew the cast of characters, mm -hmm. like in one go. He was like, "Here's mm -hmm. the show, boom!" Mm -hmm. there it goes. <laughs> it's amazing, absolutely amazing. So we watched episodes one through twenty-four. Yeah, which are all available on YouTube. Dubbed the... though, the subbed ones are much better. I believe you, but I had a lot of fun with the dub because yeah. it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the 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 Osmer boxer guy and all of the dudes that work oh. on the Air, Air Force Base are all like rednecks. Dude, so there's a there's a part for listeners, there's a part, this series is essentially about a kid mm. named Ippo who works at his mother's uh, bait and tackle store. Helps, he's still uh, at high school. He's still at high school. Yeah. And he falls into boxing. He, he's he getting bullied, right? And then he gets yeah. saved by, 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 by Takamura. Yeah. 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 So he encounters this, this legendary up and coming boxer who is, uh, practicing by this tree and catching leaves. He's kicking the tree, leaves are falling and he's catching it. And so Ippo goes to the gym and it turns out that he's really fucking strong. That's his thing <laughs> is that he can, he can punch really good because he works at the bait and tackle. Store. The fish, yeah. Yeah. Stuff. The fish. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's picking stuff up and dealing with fishermen and stuff like that. So he basically uh, begins training, and it's this 
like I said, 134 Tankobon volumes, uh, 76 episodes of this series, two more series with a combined 51 episodes. Uh, it's just following this guy's boxing career, but it's different from American boxing films that I've seen, right? It yeah. still has the kind of overcoming adversity which you'd expect the training montages, the training loads montages. of fucking running, yeah, <laughs> lots of running, lots of running. But I just could not. Once you recommended this, I watched the first couple episodes and I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to get into this because yep. it's mm -hmm. it comes off. I'm much more of the like I'm reading Gaunts right now, so yep. I like the the dark, erotic, gory adult. What's called uh, not shonen but uh, seinen, right? Seinen manga, I guess. Is I don't know. Called. I'm not a weeb, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I'm becoming one slowly but surely. I'm starting <laughs> to look at girls with cat ears, like, oh man, I wonder, I wonder if she, what she's like. Um, but so anyway, I like the darker shit, and this came mm -hmm. off as like more kitty type stuff. Yeah. And by about episode four, I was completely just hooked. You're hooked in. in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I watched it for the first time about 15 years ago, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I watched it with my two best mates, um, Costas and Alexis. And I messaged them this week while I was watching it just to be like, oh, dudes, I'm watching, I'm watching Ippo again. And uh, my mate Costas just replied, Makanuchi! <laughs> like, like all in caps. It was like this <laughs> massive message. <laughs> And then That's I was awesome. just, I was chatting to Alexi as well in a different thread, and he was like, we were just talking about Ippo, and then we were uh, like, I was the coach's name, um, Kurgawa, is that yeah. his name? Yeah. The gym owner. He was like posting all these quotes from the <laughs> from all these wise wise words, and yeah, um, yeah. he was like, man, I'm getting pumped just thinking about this show. It's so fucking good. Yeah, it is, and good. it is. It's just, it, I mean, the thing about it is that it's got to be one of those pieces of media. I mean, I don't really watch TV or, or movies at all, full stop. This is the first TV I've watched in a year, I reckon, watching Ippo again. And I, mm -hmm. it was a pleasure. It's fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. But there's something about it, which is the character of Ippo is just driven. His grit, mm -hmm. he's just, it's nonstop, right? It's like, he's so goal-driven. It's either got to learn this thing, got to get this fit, got to do this fight you know got to get mm -hmm. to the final of the rookie tournament and it's just episode after episode there's goal there's grit and he stands up that's the thing it's when he stands up in the middle of a fight and you're like yeah come on man yeah. <laughs> and they accomplish this by making him a genuinely sweet person which yeah. is interesting in our day and age of anti-heroes and flawed characters and you know mm. which is good too there's a place for that but in this case i really like the fact that he's a very polite sweet young man who wants everybody to be his friend and he like he he uh miami right his big rival he yeah. just wants to be that miata miata sorry yes yeah uh, not miami uh but he he just wants that guy to be his friend mm -hmm. and so you do root for him because He's got a really good home life. His mother understands. Well, she doesn't understand the boxing, but she supports him doing it. And, you know, even his buddies at the gym, when they're hazing him, it's all very funny and lighthearted. And that, to me, is really interesting as a plot device in the year 2023 of having, yeah, mm -hmm. just somebody who you like 
who you want to root for. Yeah. You actually want him to win. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, it's really, really quick to be introduced that the guy is like, got no friends <laughs> and all he does is help his mom. You know, like that's episode one, isn't it? Where he's just like, Oh, sorry. I can't come hang out. I've got to, got to yeah. move shit from A to B for mom tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then eventually she's like, I got yeah. it. You can, you can just go. And you're like, Oh, that's cool. Supportive. Yeah. So I texted you cause it was, episode but he's also three. like super aspy as well. Right. Oh, totally. And he's kind of, I think that obsessive, constantly asking questions. Yeah. And we're also made to understand that like part of his social thing is he's not the most attractive guy. Like whenever he's fighting that last dude, who's really handsome, when he shows up, everybody's like, look at this ugly piece of shit. Uh, But I think that the, uh, yeah, the Aspie element of him, he doesn't, he doesn't understand anything. Oh, and also, my favorite bit about his character is that he's got a huge wang. There's like eight. <laughs> yeah, eight yeah. Jokes I was gonna there. mention that actually. Yeah, it's constant. <laughs> it's like it's the running subplot is how big his fucking dick is. Because <laughs> they see it in the shower, and there's an elephant sound effect, and they're like, Damn, "Yeah, what? yeah, it's so good." And when he and when he wins his first fight, and they take him into that restaurant, and there's are they hookers? Are they, are they meant to be hookers? I think I'm not so, entirely yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah and like. And like Escorts, Takamura yeah. just like pulls his shorts down and he's like 17 or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. The humor in this is so funny, man, because it's yeah. of its time. I mean, there's one point it's definitely where of its time. Yeah. There's one point where Miata comes in and Ippo trips on a towel and like hugs him and they're like, <laughs> what are you gay? And they're like, yeah. and they actually yeah. in the yeah. dub, at least they use the term butt pirate, which I haven't heard since like sixth grade. That's like, yeah. that's a deep, that's a deep pull. But a lot of the humor is like that, but it's mentioned so often. I was kind of like, Jesus, there's a point where he's getting his ass whipped in a fight and the trainer puts ice down his pants. Yeah. And even then in this crucial moment, the trainer's like, well, damn, son, if I'd known you were that big, I would have told you to go after him with, with your thing. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, do people. would have brought more ice. I would have brought more ice. Do, and yeah. I was like, do people actually like talk about other people's dicks that much that's you know i was wondering about this right and i was thinking about this this week because i haven't hadn't actually thought about it but the books were written in the late 80s like the the source material and then the tv show comes out in the early 2000s and i'm kind of wondering if if like the big dick stuff and him constantly being teased around it is like well there's two reasons one it diffuses the homoeroticism of the show because mm-hmm. everybody is fucking tonk you know what mm-hmm. i mean like <laughs> they're just so shredded and like some of those like slow pans that like just when they just go down the boxers bodies in the middle of the fight are just like uh-huh. super homoerotic and i'm wondering if the big dick stuff is there to like diffuse like it's like a no homo thing do you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> yeah they're exactly it's like well we're not uh we're not gay for these guys. It's, uh, you know, it's just look at how beautiful this man's body is. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah everybody is uh, super shredded to the point where, you know, even the shy guy who uses the clinch strategy, even he's ripped. I yeah. Like, Damn, I need to go join a boxing gym. Every time <laughs> I see a boxing movie like Creed or now this show, I'm like, man, I really need to get fit because these get guys are shredded. Just yeah. Good. The tr- they do such a good job on this show too of the training montages because you really feel the pain. I'm not a runner, yeah. right? We're both. We're, as we're speaking, we're vaping. 
And so my lungs are not in the best shape <laughs> that, they could, yeah. that they could be in. So when I'm watching him, you know, just run, run, run. And then his trainer's like, what are you doing? Standing around, go run some more, hit the heavy bag, whatever. I'm like, yeah, ah, I would die. I would, I would die. I wouldn't be able to do that. This is so. the show is just so inspirational. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that's why it's just fucking awesome. The dude just does the work. <laughs> mm -hmm. and he fucking loves it as well it's so good like yeah. yeah oh man it's such a fucking good show i like you try and pitch you try and pitch someone this show just in the pub oh you like you watch anime or whatever and like you're like oh have you seen ippo and they're like oh no i've never heard of it you're just like oh it's a boxing it's a boxing show and then everyone's mm -hmm. like no i'm out <laughs> yeah. i'm out and you learn a lot of like little nuances about boxing history mm -hmm. like you learn about the flicker jab and all these different techniques that they would use and how when boxers are in the ring, they're thinking on down to the centimeter in terms of where their punches are supposed to go and where their openings are. So it's a really good technical way to learn about boxing. Mm -hmm. uh, I consider myself a, an expert now so I can watch boxing and be like, <laughs> oh, I know exactly what's going on. But it's, I, I think I, that the episode where Takamura is cutting to make weight for his fight is I was really, really interesting to me. Like, I think that that episode when I first watched it like years ago was the first time I really appreciated what it means to like dry out for a fight or even um, a friend of mine who lived on a different floor from me at university, like years before I first, I watched that. He was like, like a men's health model. He was like mm -hmm. shredded. And he said that he passed out on the day of his photo shoot because he, he had been taking creatine and not drinking water and, you know, just like getting rock solid for his photo shoot. And I was like, oh, that's what it takes to, to look like that. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? It's called a fucking eating disorder is what yeah. that is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not talked about a lot with dudes, you know, but it's a, certainly a thing. I've been following some health experts on Instagram because, mm -hmm. you know, healthcare is not the best in the U.S., so we take what we can get. And uh, the ones that I've been following, I follow a few vegan guys because I'm interested in, in veg stuff. But uh, the ones that I've been really interested in are pushing back against this whole, like, sort of ripped bodybuilder culture. And they're like, what you're looking at is an eating disorder. Like, what these guys are doing is they look great, and that's awesome, but... When you see the Mr. Universe pageant, have you ever seen those guys' butt cheeks, by the way? Mm -hmm. like it's the strangest yeah. thing when there's no meat on the ass at all. It's just these yeah. two. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 not good. I like that episode too. I thought that episode was really great. I think episode three was where I got really hooked. And I Is that the first the... fight? I think so. It's in the tra in in the gym, right? Yeah. When he finally kind of uh, you know, I think it's when he wins, when he wins his first sparring match with Miata and yeah. like everybody's clapping him on the back and he's like, I'm finally accepted. And you just learned friends. that he doesn't, yeah. he, yeah. he, he doesn't have a dad, you know, mm -hmm. so you, you see the picture of him with the, and I was like crying. I was like, what did this fucking thing do to me? And I'm watching <laughs> it on like 1.75 speed. So everything's yeah. happening very quickly. It's not like I've had time to sink into it. Yeah, but it got into my subconscious immediately straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Started, Once I mean, if you, if you if you smash all of it, eventually, it's just mm -hmm. it's Ippo is just embedded in your brain after that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> 
Yeah, but it did it did make me want to go do things. And I see this. I take a lot of inspiration from insane people too, like David Goggins and their ability to push through mm-hmm. pain. And and I think about my like what a pussy I am in terms of that. And the fact that like what I do, come on, man, it's not that. Mm-hmm. It's writing or podcasting. It's yeah. not hard. So when I see stuff like this, I just find it endlessly inspirational that people can do this with their bodies and do really difficult things like fasting and training. And guys like you and me, we have no excuse for what yeah. we do. But getting punched in the face. Yeah, getting punched. Yeah. In the f- I don't like, I've been punched in the face. At a big yeah, me eye. too. Yeah, yeah. I'd it's, rather not, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to talk a lot of shit and I got tagged once and it was not fun. It's really bizarre being hit in the face like you have no idea what just happened you're like what my whole your body goes into self-preservation mode <laughs> and it's like well, I, I don't even know where i am but uh but yeah no so i uh i'm interested in uh so your takeaway from it is that it's you know it's this inspirational thing but do you have a favorite fight of the show so far um of the ones we watched so far hmm. yeah It's probably the fight, his last fight, the one against the uh, what's his name, he Hiami, the the yeah. dude that uh, with the the shotgun got, punch, the shotgun punch, yeah, because it's the first time you see Ippo have like self doubt in the ring mm-hmm. when he goes down and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe I should just go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Which I recognize that. That's definitely yeah. something that I've thought of before. Mine is uh, the Ozma fight, mm. not just because of his South Park black scent, which was really yeah. funny because they clearly got he's a also white like dude. the guy from Green Mile as well, isn't he? Like yeah. the yeah, <laughs> I gotta make sure that I fight for Mama Song because you know, and it's just like, oh man, you guys really you couldn't find you couldn't find the black voice actors. I guess they didn't. Yeah, it. but uh, I did like that fight because. As far, as far as I could tell, like, that was the strongest guy that he fought. And when he sort of got over that, I thought they did a really good... I thought they did a good job, honestly, with all of the opposing boxers' mm-hmm. backstories. And that's yeah. what I think really makes the show special, whether it's Ozma, uh, the guy who won't train, whose girlfriend is going to leave him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, bum. yeah, bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Miata's got his own... Uh, we'll talk about the quote-unquote cliffhanger that we left it on but uh everybody has except so far for the really evil guy he, he's just mean he's just a bad dude oh man but you just gotta wait and see there the big yeah. there's a big plot twist coming it's fucking awesome oh nice nice okay cool yeah because uh but i i liked that aspect of touching on each element of boxing right and the uh, reasons why people are in the ring as well, mm-hmm. I think is interesting, and what they what they want to get out of the out of the fight or the experience or the doing of boxing, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Osma fight though is just them lamping each other one after another. Yeah, yeah just keep, they just keep doing it, and it's like who falls first. This what do you think about the punches. fact it's like forty minutes of television for six minutes of boxing, like two rounds? It's cool, uh, right? The, like, because yeah. it doesn't feel like it. The the time is like extended in the in in that way. I think that that is really cool, and you can notice it the most when someone's down for a ten count, and mm-hmm. they'll go one, 
and then we'll we'll be traded they in two cut minutes to the mental internal monologue and they're yeah. like i can't give up because if i give up now then everything that i've trained for and then you cut back and they're like two <laughs> yeah and then someone from the, the and then they're shouting from the stands and then you've got coaches wisdom coming in yeah it's fucking awesome yeah. and then you have the internal monologue of the other boxer who's like he can't stand up after that fucking hell yeah. <laughs> i fucked him up but yeah. uh no it's it's great because i i like when shows like this play with time because you can there's no reason mm -hmm. not to i'm not a big realism guy i don't need everything to be like well how did how did he have all those thoughts in under a second it's like bro who cares it's showing you something these are mm -hmm. these are monologues that would happen in a split second in real life yeah it's but, just something that you internalize yeah, right you yeah. you feel but mm -hmm. it's not real yeah. It's, it's a television it's program. It's fiction. Yeah. It's it's fiction. It's my favorite Grant Morrison quote. What kind of engine does the Batmobile have? He said it doesn't have one because it's fiction. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So no, I thought that was yeah. great. I thought that the extended fights were cool. I like the way that they pace it out. I love all the non-boxing stuff too. It's mm -hmm. it's just hanging out with these with these guys. I love their dynamic together. I like Aoki the chef the noodle guy yeah he's and he's really a fortune teller <laughs> yeah and he's a fortune teller but he's always wrong and he likes really ugly girls they call he them double them. baggers i haven't heard that in fucking years <laughs> there's so many throwbacks in this where they're like, yeah. he's like oh man and then when they're on the beach training and they're looking at the hot girls and then Aoki's like, I like that one. And then they zoom in really close to her face and she's like, Boom. and she turns around. She does the <laughs> slow motion, like, like hair, hair thing from a, from an advert. And then it's like, Ooh. yeah. And they, and have they, to, they have to communicate that she's ugly because it's a, mm -hmm. they all, they look like anime characters, right? Yeah, exactly. So they just have her like drooling and have a big <laughs> nose or something. <laughs> it's so fucking ridiculous. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so fucking good. I can't express to people who are listening right now how good Ippo is. It's just fucking awesome. Yeah. And I, I think that um, the way that we left it after episode 24, so the Ippo and... Miata are, or is that right? Miata, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Miata. They're headed for their third showdown. So mm -hmm. he is a boxer who's been raised in the sport. He's a very technical guy. He's also very strong. He's sort of the golden child, the prospect, the one who's good. He's a really good foil to Ippo, like in yeah. terms of characters. With his, with his like dad, he has a dad for a start, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, who, who's dad. like the ex-boxer guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His dad is a boxer who apparently failed because his style didn't work correctly or something, or he got caught with a lucky punch. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. I think he's got a glass jaw or something, right? Something like That's that. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 He got, he got tagged and went, went down and that was the end for him. So I like that they made Miata, they gave him all of the typical villain characteristics in terms of, you know, who is this Rube who's just starting off and, you know, I got to teach him a lesson, but he, they still make him human because yeah, he helps him buy those shoes and stuff. Right. Right. He helps him buy the shoes. And he also just kind of, they seem to become sort of friends. It's, it's mm. a very cautiously like, I want to fight you for a third time. Because, and we're pros yeah. now, so there's stakes. And we're pros, and you're yeah. gonna meet. You're gonna meet me at the final fight, 
And where we leave it, Ippo's going to the final fight, but Miata gets rocked. He gets Absolutely rocked. fucked by the yeah. In by the, the uh, in the man. sub version in the original, it's like the the commentators are like flicko jabba <laughs> <laughs> instead of flicker jab. It's fucking yeah. awesome the way that they just yeah. like yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, he he gets his toe stepped on by the evil guy, and it breaks his foot, mm -hmm. as far as I can tell. Uh, and he doesn't want to give up. So this is the other side of the coin, I think, that um, uh, Murakawa is showing, where it's like that kind of determination is good, unless you have a broken foot, and then mm -hmm. you should probably retire. Thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. maybe it's a yeah. good idea to to call the fight and say, okay, you know what, you got me this time. I'll get you next time. So it's yeah, it's showing that flip side of like you know, there with some reservations, there are times where it's good to give up because this guy's gonna knock you the fuck out, which he does. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so interesting. I'm dying to know where it goes, but it uh, it was such a cool, unexpected thing, you know. Yeah, like, I thought he was gonna handle business and and move on. But now we it's have... cool how they introduce the the evil guy in the um, rookie um, when they're getting their license. He's there and he mm -hmm. knocks the guy out in the in like the sparring match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and they give him a mullet, right? It's yeah, like a pure sign of like a bad dude. Everybody else <laughs> has these cool anime haircuts, and he's got this shaggy mullet thing and these big bushy eyebrows. He's caterpillar. And like he looks like a crack addict as well. Only he's like shredded yeah and he does the he does the he, when he's getting ready he does this hitmon style fist. yeah yeah <laughs> it's so fucking cool yeah i could watch uh you know i was going to watch a baseball anime for an earlier show a few months ago and i couldn't get into it because it was definitely more like for for babies but yeah uh, i was gonna i i was thinking like ippo have you seen prince of tennis which is like um which is like tween girl yeah it's it's like i've it's seen loads tough. of that because my old housemate yeah. used to be really into it <laughs> yeah 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 and it's like you know it's all this is anime in general because since i started doing the show which started off ostensibly as a takashi miike love fest mm -hmm. and as, since we branched out into anime manga and stuff like that i have begun to change my opinion on people who watch these types of anime um yeah. specifically ones that have like girls in them or whatever i used to be just very much like bro what do you do like why are you even people who would watch dragon ball i'd be like aren't you like 20 <laughs> and now i'm 36 years old and i'm like, yeah anime rules this is fantastic this yeah is like, you just the best shit. it's interesting about like the just the difference in culture right like i just can't imagine like like british culture or american tv producing 200 episodes of a boxing cartoon or whatever would, you know yeah, it, it would never yeah well now we wouldn't get 200 we barely get 10 episodes of any show because it gets canceled as soon as it's you know not deemed slightly unprofitable i was uh have you ever seen the show workaholics i haven't seen anything ever oh, that's true ever ever <laughs> i was thinking about doing a show one once it'd be really funny to get like film experts on where the, where people bring their favorite films and the show's called never seen it and i'm just like yeah, I'll tell you about what Raging Bull's about or whatever, because I haven't seen yeah. it. Well, I haven't even seen The Godfather, so 
you know, I'll just There's pretend a, I know what it's about. <laughs> that's a really good concept. There is a show that my wife listens to a podcast called uh, too scary. Didn't watch. And it's this girl who's terrified of horror movies. So she never watches anything. And that's the concept of the show is that people come on and whatever new horror film comes out, they go on and mm -hmm. tell her what happens in it. And it's fun. It's fun. Cause we listen to uh bodies, 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 which is a movie that I'm never going to watch. But it's fun to like hear people talk about it instead. It's the beauty of yeah. podcasting. But uh, anyway, the Workaholics guys have a podcast and they were talking about they were going to have a movie made with Paramount Plus and it got pulled because the suits didn't think it was going to be a billion dollar international smash hit. And it's like, that's where we're at now with at yeah. least American TV. Uh, you know, people who I know who are in TV are like, it's fucking it's rough out there. Like, It's, it's crazy, though, because so much more TV is getting made. Mm hmm. For just like an episode for like one or two episodes and then they're like i mean okay. yeah i mean like yeah whatever like um did you watch the last thing that i watched was uh, the last thing i watched before ippo like full stop was the arcane cartoon on netflix yep. based on the video mm -hmm. game it's yeah. like the most expensive tv show ever made and that was fucking awesome yeah no like I, per, I gonna... like most expensive per minute of television or whatever because it's like computer generated so you don't watch movies or TV very often. Like, why are you just busy with other things that, or just that storytelling medium, not have any interest for you? Two reasons. One is that I'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> I'm more of a radio guy. I'd rather listen to a podcast or an audio book than watch a film. And secondly, because of my aphantasia, I just don't, I don't remember films the same way as everybody else. Oh yeah, tell like it, tell it's the listeners about that. You you're having um, you have a mm -hmm. podcast coming about the, I do this, as as the subject. And yeah. I interviewed you for it as well, which yeah, it was fun. Great episode. So I've got yeah. aphantasia, um, which means that I have no mental images in my mind's eye at all. So it's completely black and blank whenever I imagine anything. It's not that I don't have an imagination; I just don't have a mind's eye. So my memory of films is exactly the same as my memory of books in that everything is black. <laughs> Although I don't even think about black because obviously it's not part of my mental landscape or furniture or experience. But like me telling you about a film is basically a sequence of events. One thing, it's like a screenplay almost. Like this happened, then this guy went over here and then said this, and then she got annoyed about that. And then they went over there and did this. And that's like my memory of a film. And like, and if I go to the cinema to see a film, then my memory is sitting is a sequence of events while sat in a dark room. <laughs> mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so I, 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 the suspension of disbelief for me when I'm watching TV or, or going to the cinema or movies is just, it's not quite there for me because of not because of I'm not in the moment watching it. It's just like how I remember it afterwards. Cause you probably remember cool scenes from movies and fucking, you know, mm -hmm. everyone mm -hmm. remembers that scene from old boy, right. Where he's in the car. Yeah goes down the corridor but like right. yeah i mean it's not like i can picture it right oh that's so interesting yeah i guess i never thought that obviously makes sense that if you can't picture something to remember it then why why not just have real experiences or listen to an audiobook like you said because there's yeah. no there's no real so when that happens when you're listening to because you're a big warhammer guy so when you're listening <laughs> to a warhammer book <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm glad that yeah yeah sure there's no image that's None. coming as the audiobook is it's just straight information 
that you're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just plot. It's all it's wow. all plot. One thing after another. And I and actually, I was talking to someone about this recently. When I'm listening to an audiobook, I feel like well, I'm right there with the person reading the words. Mm. You know, like if I'm imagining anything, I'm imagining someone sitting behind a microphone <laughs> reading the book for me, you know, and I'm right there with them. Every single word they oh, read it. Yeah. I'm listening. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously not experience, no. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I mean, I get what you mean. That's so when you're thinking back on Ippo, it's it's stuff that you can recall the things that happen. you have a memory. It's not that you don't have yeah. a memory. It's just that, you know, if I were to say, oh, remember that scene with, uh, you know, where they're eating noodles and he does that thing with it, with the cards where he, you know, fans them out and pulls the, and ace he pulls off. out the ACE. Yeah. 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 But you're not yeah. seeing it. You're not. Seeing no, it. I'm just... remembering it. And in three weeks yeah. time, I won't remember he pulled an ACE out. That's for sure. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, I probably won't remember that either. My memory is yeah. years and years of drug abuse saw to that. So I don't <laughs> Same. <remember> that. <laughs> I have like I'm trying to get better with my memory. Uh, you've listened to Lost Explorers, which is the other podcast yeah. that I do with Chris, and that has helped my memory intensely. Yeah, the short-term memory stuff where he gives you those challenges is like, yeah, really fucking cool. Yeah, I have to remember five words, and I have to try to put two in. Oh, I forgot about in. that. Yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So every yeah. episode has them. I get them in. There are a few. Ep- there's like two episodes where I completely forgot because I was in the com- in the mode of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But uh, that has really helped because sometimes I'll just sit back and think like, well, what did I do four days ago? And I'll try to walk back through my day and and think to myself because I think that uh, and we can use this to transition into some stuff that that you talk about. I think that this is a Twitter problem for me. Did I send you that link to that thing about like people who have spent more than X hours on social media in a week have, it reduces the amount of, of, of working memory that they have. So like people that spend time on social media, however, I can't remember what the minimum amount of time is or the maximum to go. It's quite a short amount of time, but once you've passed that, then you can't remember what you have for dinner. And like all of those things just disappear because of like the the strange mode that, that social media puts you in. What is, what's going on with that? Were you talking about this? Some podcast I was listening to where someone was talking about how like Twitter's like a dream with no meaning. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Was that you? Yeah. 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 I think it's that like you just end up in this weird headspace. Yeah. I think that's so true. I think that the dream state is like I've, you can see it. Anybody listening, trust me on this. If you get rid of Twitter for even a few days, Mm-hmm. everything feels different. It's really, really scary. Like when you stop scrolling and just go do something else and then you go back to, everybody has this experience. It's the same as, in my experience, it's the same as drinking alcohol where like, so for example, right now I've been dry for January and probably the first beer that I end up having, I'll think, oh, this is nice. This is, and then, you know, two weeks later I'll be, you know, just tanked all the time and hung over all the time and just be completely out of it. But that, and that's why I'm going to probably stick with this for quite some time. But with Twitter, it's the same fucking thing. You, yeah. you go back to it and you think, this is really weird. Why does anybody give a shit about anything that's being said here? And then three days later, you're like, 
they want to take away gas stoves. I don't know why they want to take away gas stoves. This is why is why they why is everyone to, now, the the worst bit is I was talking to you about this the other week. It's like once you've been off Twitter for a little bit, you realize that everybody, all the other media that you consume is like meta commentary on Twitter. So like I unsubscribed from a Substack the other day because it was just like seven screenshots of tweets. <laughs> And I was like, I don't fucking care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It turns out it, I mean? it, it turns out that if you close the application and take it off of your phone, I, I still use Twitter for messaging. Uh, but if you take it off your phone and you don't look at it, all that shit immediately ceases to be real. Like a dream. Mm-hmm. It's exactly like a dream. When you wake up, the dream is still fresh and well, know, it's less right real down. than a dream because there's zero meaning on mm. on twitter that's true <laughs> at all you, said you know i actually um, tweet is 30 minutes right yeah that's how long it, it stays alive for yeah if mm. you if it doesn't go viral mm. i'm sorry what were you gonna say i unsubscribed to a whole bunch of podcasts last year because i realized that I'm only half listening to a podcast at like, I don't know, 1.6 speed or some shit like that. I know that you people out there are listening to this on like Mad Max 2x speed <laughs> with like gaps chopped out. Be my guest. I'm really happy that you're burning through the content. That's what I do too. But I realized that I'm only half listening to the podcast. But when you actually listen to the show, you realize that the guest is only half listening to the host. And the host is only half listening to the guest. And in between the three of you, no one's listening to anybody. (laughs) So there's no point in fucking listening to unsubscribe. That's so so fucking true. When you just, when you listen to some podcasts and you can, there's that line from Fight Club where uh, Marla says, do you ever get the impression that when you talk to people, they're just waiting for their turn to speak? And that exactly that. like people talking at cross purposes and... I don't know if you've ever noticed this on podcasts, but people's inability to uh, disagree. So mm-hmm. somebody will say something and then let's say I say, uh, I really enjoy uh, apples. That's my favorite fruit. And then you say, well, it's oranges for me. And then I say, oh yeah, orange is definitely my favorite. And then they kind of yeah. keep, it's this weird agreeability to get to your your point. And at the end of the day, you're like, Wait, but what does anybody mean about anything and you take these apples and oranges and you expand that out into complete ideological worldviews and you just have mm-hmm. two people who have nothing in common but who are like agreeing the whole time like yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah totally. it's like that it's like that twitter joke about say like posting a tweet about how you really like pancakes for breakfast and someone replies saying how do you hate waffles yeah and it's like that's a completely different tweet bro yeah that's exactly. a classic that's a good one. I was, yeah, but you know, I, I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about what am I going to talk to JDO about? And I was thinking about taste and, and like how social media has just like completely ruined people's tastes because we can all see what everybody else likes. And it's all just like devolved into this slurry of just like bollocks, basically. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like everything's mediocre. TV's mediocre. Like culture is just like mediocre and just, yeah. And I have a I have a crystal aphorism for you that I wrote down. Oh, I like it. Let's go. You cannot agree or disagree with art. You can either think it's good or bad. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You can't disagree with a piece like this. Uh, when I 
Roxanne Gay, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with her or not. She's a cultural commentator. Uh, she wrote a book called Bad Feminist, and she's mostly made her reputation and living through uh, Twitter commentary on things. But it's right. all it's all basically surrounding you know what is appropriate and inappropriate about certain works of art. So she was talking about this movie called The Whale, and she which she did not care for because she's a woman of size. And the is that the, the film with what's his name from Airheads? Yeah, Bre uh, Brendan Fraser. Uh, yeah, who's who's George of the uh, Jungle? George of the Jungle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, so she didn't like it, I guess, because it depicted some of the horrors of weighing six hundred pounds, which it's not pretty when you get that big. It's it can be pretty rough. I watched that documentary about the guy who was like the the fattest guy in the world or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when that mm -hmm. came out about 10 years ago? Oh. I remember like my 600 pound life, that reality show. And yeah, I just, don't know. it's reminded it me of the, uh, the Twitter thing. Like I know it smell crazy in there. That's always what I think of whenever I see that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, but so she didn't like it. My point is, is just that she didn't like it for all of these reasons. And I'm like, you, what you just said, like, you can't disagree with the whale. <laughs> There's you no disagreeing. Yeah. You can't disagree with art or fiction no. or whatever, right? You either think it's good or bad. Right. Or you think there's good bits and there's bad bits, which is a more nuanced position, but still. Yeah. And oof, yeah, everything is the best or the worst. But it is interesting mm -hmm. that when you talk about the slurry that Twitter has created, do you, is it just because people are afraid to take risks? What do you think is the mechanism behind the the juicer that creates the slurry? The I read a thing the other day, I think it was garbage day email about like that Velma cartoon that's come out, which obviously I haven't seen. And I have only been exposed to it via Tumblr, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they were talking about how things are getting made because the people who are making them are all on social media. And then, the, and, and one that they confuse so, the social media from real life, from actual real life, like sensibilities of the public. And secondly, the stuff gets made by people who are on social media and then it gets fed back into social media and it creates this cycle. Um, so that there's part, there's partly there's that, I think, which is like this, this strange, like, and also happens with news, right? All the journalists are on Twitter, therefore Twitter brain is infecting everything and then mm -hmm. it speeds up. And then even though nobody's really on it. Like, yeah population wise nobody's on twitter no one's on twitter no if you want like, it's the same size as pinterest right in terms of like monthly users i think it's smaller pinterest was on that list pinterest was number seven and then i think snapchat was six and twitter imagine was pinterest 10. was our social media dude imagine if we were just sending each other really nice photos of stuff i love pinterest i'm not even like i i can lose a solid hour before bed I've been trying wow. to read before bed instead, mm -hmm. but Pinterest, because you click on a photo, beneath that photo are similar. Yep. You know, it's a really great curatorial, it's kind of Tumblr. Well, Pinterest is a, it's like a demonstration of taste to come back to that, right? Like a curated Tumblr board is a demonstration of someone's taste. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas vertical social media, the feed, not so much with Tumblr because you can go to someone's Tumblr and see it like, you know, three columns and stuff arrangement like the juxtaposition and arrangement of ideas and um thoughts feelings comments pictures is like way more important whereas if on the feed it's one thing after another 
sequentially, but then you also have the algorithmic feed, which is just like, you know, yesterday's news is is being shown to you for the first time. Plus the, everything is less than 30 minutes old. Mm. Like mm-hmm. you can't demonstrate, you cannot demonstrate taste and the development of taste and like the change of, of, of heart or the change of thoughts or change of feelings about certain ideas if you're com- completely stuck in the present. Mm. I, yeah. Yeah. I've thought often about how when I was in high school and I was getting into Zen, I was reading Brad Warner's books and, you know, I was like, oh yeah, hardcore. Did you ever read hardcore Zen? You know what I'm talking no, about? No, I haven't yeah. really been around that much Zen. I'm vip- Vipassana meditation. It's this idea of constantly being in the present, being adopted by tech bros, because you know that yeah. they go to mm-hmm. ayahuasca retreats and they're like, the ayahuasca spirit told me that I need to reinvent the vending machine. So, you know, tech bros will take these lessons and then put out the archonic evil version of them. Yeah. And I've often thought of Twitter as like the devil's version of constantly being in the present. It's like, oh, you want to be present? Boy, do I have something for you. You're not going to remember shit. You're just going to be in it. There's a difference between being present in your life and on social media and paying attention though, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's actually paying attention to one another on Twitter. What are they paying attention to? It's a good question. Because social media has weather, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you log into and it's like, ah, oh, people are angry about gas stars today or whatever it is that they're currently, you know, everyone's fucking angry about. Yeah. I mean, this also comes back to the slurry thing as well, I think, because, because I mean, obviously I've never seen a Marvel movie in my life, but I've been like, I did a, a whole bunch of work last year with the Canadian Media Fund um, mm-hmm. talking about trends for the next couple of years. And we were talking about cultural fracking and Marvel and so on and so forth. And Marvel is just one of those, like the Marvel universe is, I think, Scors- is it Scorsese that said that, that Marvel movies aren't movies? They're like, a, mm-hmm. they're like a new thing, like an amusement park ride. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I definitely get that impression in culture. No one's going to watch a movie like maybe once or twice. That's yeah. a lie. I have seen, maybe I saw. Maybe I saw the Hulk, the <laughs> first one with Ed Norton. <laughs> 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, Something exactly. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. So nobody's paying attention. It's all amusement park rides. What is your prescription for that? What should people do? Should they meditate? Like you, or oh. <laughs> they, only if they want to fuck up their lives <laughs> for, for ten years. What, what what's going on with that? I mean, like, do you regret meditating or or no, no, I don't. But it's been it's like a self inflicted thing, definitely. Like what you go sure. through if you if you meditate every day for for a decade is is something that is is self inflicted and it's somewhat difficult to come to terms with once you've had a mental breakdown, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a self-inflicted one. Um, but who's to say, but then again, who's to say that I wouldn't have had one anyway. Right. And maybe you were better equipped to, to deal mm-hmm. with it when it finally or experienced happen. it in a different way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't tell. It would be cool if you could, that's a piece of technology that I would like. What would happen if David had made different decisions 
and you can see all of mine. What if all of mine were like being a multimillionaire and having like a <laughs> sick car and a Jaguar and stuff like a real jet, like a pet Jaguar. Oh um, shit. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, yeah. On a, in a <laughs> compound in New Mexico. If you had, if you had just stuck with working uh, at Charles Schwab when you graduated and become a fucking broker instead, your life would be so sick right now. Then you would have gotten into crypto early. Would have bought a bunch of Bitcoin. And, uh, I was thinking about like something similar to this a couple of months ago about when you make a decision in your life and then you, when you, when you live with the consequences of a decision, what you're actually doing is reaffirming your original decision. Like every day you're still mm -hmm. taking like Rome, you know, that like Rome falls like five times an hour, mechanic quote or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that's what's happening, right? Like you make it, you made a decision years ago to do something and now you're still making the same decision because you're like moving forwards from that decision. Mm -hmm. And like, it, it's like a responsibility or like an Ippo thing. He made a decision and he fucking lives with it every day. And he's reminded of it every day. He reminds himself like he made a decision. Do you, do you regret decisions? No, 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 I don't think so. Like very rarely. Interesting. Interesting. What about if you're really drunk, you ever wake up and think, oh man. Well, th those cringe moments are things that you can come to terms with the are things that you come to terms with meditating how so just like cliff's notes version uh you're sitting on the mat and you're let's just say you're doing awareness meditation and you're like mm -hmm. oh my god i can't believe i said that thing when i was 15. you know that moment <laughs> that thing that just comes fast and then you feel it in your chest and your shoulders tighten and then you know like it's a physical bodily reaction that you have to that that particular thought what you do is instead of noting it like everyone tells you to do with awareness meditation you sit with that cringe you know mm -hmm. perceive it perceive the cringe be it live it like process it as an adult you know don't just forget it or like hope it goes away you sit with it and you're like yeah i did that that was the thing that happened and then if you do that enough with enough cringe shit that comes across then it goes away wow. it didn't stop you from doing it you just yeah, accept it's already it happened yeah okay all right yeah that seems what the really... fuck are you still thinking about it for <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You don't know my yeah. you don't know my cringe thing that'll come back to me in the shower. It still does. This happened sure. probably six six years ago. I was house sitting for a friend in Brooklyn, and Duncan Trussell was uh, in town to do his podcast live at the Bell House. So I went to go see it, and I got fucking hammered, right? And uh, I was drunk after the show, so I went up to him and his friends, mm -hmm. and I said, "Can I hang out with you guys?" And he said, it's a free country, man. You can do whatever you want. So I followed them to a bar. And it was him and his guest at the time had been Hamilton Morris, the yeah. Far, far, pharma guy. Yeah, yeah, the pharma guy. Dude. Yeah. And they were having this debate. And it was a good time up till then. You know, I was talking with him and we were talking about Dune. And it was, I was like, oh, this is cool. Because at the time, you know, Duncan Trump, that was, this is my favorite podcast, right? And uh, I'm sitting there. Where were you two. in your career? Had Black Gum come out? Uh, it. Let's see. Yeah, it had at that point. Yeah, mm. yeah. It it had come out a few years prior. Um, so I'm sitting there, and Duncan and Hamilton are debating whether or not what happens when you take DMT is a a real thing or like a 
Real's the wrong word. You see what I'm getting at, though, right? Yeah. Like, is it all chemicals or is there? Are you speaking to God or is it just chemicals yeah. in your brain? Or are you just yeah, right. really fucked up? Yeah. Uh, and I thought to myself, like, oh, I want to get a, I got to get a picture of this, right? Like, my wife, she's never going to believe that I'm hanging out here, right? So I take my phone out <laughs> to take the picture, and it just, it had the flash on. And so in the middle of their conversation, this huge flash goes over them and I'm standing there like Ippo with my little camera. (laughs) (laughs) I still think about that flash because I tried to hide it really quick. I was like, oh, (laughs) oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) Like I'm taking this indiscriminate, you know, you know, kind of stalkery weird photo of my hero, like while I'm sitting next to him. And uh, you were like, I have to leave. It didn't matter how drunk I was. I remember that better than most of my other memories. And telling it to you now, I realize it's it was completely insignificant. Nobody but me remembers mm-hmm. that that happened. But I, I'll be in the shower some days and I'll be like, remember when you took that picture, you fucking idiot? Like, <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. So I, but, but the thing is, if you sit with that long enough, then like you go through all of the motivations as to why you took the photo and you don't necessarily have to think about it. You just sit with the feelings of like why you took it, what it meant to you, what it means to you now, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a meditation for you. I'll have to sit with that. It's so weird that nothing, and I've done so much worse shit in my life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm just like, well, that, that happens. And, but that one was, I think because it put me in a, social position that I don't like to see myself as being, which is a mm-hmm. weird stalker guy. Like nobody wants like that to me is worse than being a dickhead. So if I have mm-hmm. a memory of being a dickhead, I'm like, well, I kind of am. So yeah, that fits. Sure. Right? Yeah. But what I'm not is like <laughs> this dude. Who's the creepy to, stalker guy. Yeah. The creepy stalker guy. The fanboy. <laughs> the fanboy, which I was, I was, yeah. I need to come to terms with that. I need to come to terms with that. But so you, write a lot recently and you do work with world building and worlding i do yeah yeah Uh, and i'm interested in that because it's something that i've been thinking about a lot writing cyberpunk and you know kind of when i say figuring out how the world works it's mostly like what do i want to steal from stuff that mike pondsmith or philip k dick already wrote yeah but what what do you see as the difference between world building and storytelling so as you're you're like i mean i've written fiction but you're like the author here what do you think is the difference between world building as we call it and setting as it would more traditionally be known as i think world building would include elements of elements of lore and i think there's a difference between the place where characters live which would be setting and the feeling of being lived in Mm -hmm. so that would be so for example if two characters in a cyberpunk world are sitting in a bar with neon lights and people are walking around with robot parts and drinking shots that look like you know, bright, vibrant green slime. That would be the setting. And then in the conversation that they were having, the semi unspoken 
grudge that one character might have against the bartender and the the politics that are going on outside of the bar and what somebody even might have had for breakfast that morning might be the the lived in feeling that you're Mm -hmm. trying to get in that that setting so would it be fair to say that world building or yeah that the that the plot or the conversation that the characters have are having is the unfolding consequences of the world that they're inside of mm-hmm. 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 which so that active process of the characters speaking to each other the animate to use to use that word the animate like sense of the characters interacting is the is like is the process of worlding within a world mm. so uh, worlding is a world that continually moves forward. Um, and if you haven't read Emissary's Guide to Worlding by Ying Cheng, then I highly recommend that you buy that book. I, I recommend everyone reads, reads that book because it's one of the best books on creativity, I think, that's been written like this century so far. Although I did just get Rick Rubin's new book today, which I haven't started yet. But <laughs> I'm sure that's, that one's good too. I do have that book, although I'm not sure if I have the right one. I have a Kindle version. Yeah, of yeah, it. yeah. There's no way. I've got the hardback over there, which is like OG, yeah. the OG right. version. Um, but yeah, the Kindle version is is like is just has all like the core concepts in it. It just doesn't have all the concept art for his his like generative AI. One films of the ways that, he makes. that this one of the ways that this might this this line of attack might work too. So if somebody calls you in to consult about world building. Or, or world so running. I consult world running world running okay what yeah. is that so the running so you let's take the Marvel MCU as a world which I think people like kind of understand um, as a as a franchise or as a living world because it's not just the, the the characters that are communicating with one another within the movie that's driving it forward on that kind of like movie like uh, theme park ride for the for the space of the movie but the mcu is like a is is a living thing because there's so much more media that's also going on there's like the meta text that's the meta textual stuff that's happening between the movies there's all of the stuff that's happening in the the tv shows so you have like the 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 role of a world runner in some sense is to like as a showrunner is to television a world runner is to a world in that they have to understand um from a kind of artistic perspective what the world is about, where it's going, what direction it's moving in. But they also have to understand kind of operationally what, how can you tweak a world? How can you change a world? What levers are even available to you to pull? Because like a living world like EVE Online or World of Warcraft or I don't know, pick any MMO ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they all have these different levers, right? that you can that you can pull and you can change and you can really upset people if you want to reboot something or remove something um and so you kind of have this you have to have this kind of operational not and like a project managery kind of role in that as well and having an understanding of what new content is coming what storylines are being pursued and then you have to have a sensitivity to the audience or the players or the people who are participating in a world to understand what they are doing within the world, because they may be doing things which are separate or different to the intentions of the person who built the world. Mm-hmm. So you, if you have somebody who wants to farm in a game, 
mm-hmm. and you decide that there's a heavy rainfall nearby and it floods the river. The people who are just there to farm are like, what the fuck, man? Like mm-hmm. all, my, all my crops are dead. <laughs> because these people just put 800 hours into a game that's actually about, well, the, it, these people, these 30% of the player base who have put 800 hours into farming in a game that's actually about adventuring mm-hmm. are now mm-hmm. really fucking pissed off. Yeah, are really pissed. So you would take that into account. You'd say like, well, it can't rain for 40 days and 40 nights. We can't, we can't go with this plot line because it's going to, everybody's going to be really upset if that happens. Now, these people are going to be really upset. An example of a really good way of doing this is from Ultima Online back in the 90s, where they said there is a dragon in the middle of the fucking mountain. If you wake the dragon, the world changes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And it took about 18 months for people, for the for the whole player base, the thousands, tens of thousands of players to decide that they were going to wake the dragon. And wow. that was like an, that was like an end point. Like the wow. world was di- like, you know, and it was motivated and it was a player driven decision. And so, obviously so some... people had loads of fucking flame wolves about it when it actually happened and <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say blah 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 but yeah i mean it's like if you give players agency in a world then you know people can make sensible decisions about about what's going on like i'm more i'm really interested like i do a lot of work in web3 and, and like blockchain games are coming this year like some of the stuff that i've seen that's in development is absolutely astonishing i guarantee you that someone in your friendship group will be playing a game that's built and like generated from the blockchain this year on their phone and they what they won't even know it won't be in the marketing it won't be anything it'll just it's just a game just a mobile game what what is what separates that from a regular game so the difference is in all right we're gonna get really nerdy but let's go no i'm excited so, about this because okay, so, i'm done this is why i read you bro this is this is <laughs> <laughs> all right so the thing that you have to understand is that that a blockchain is just a database. And I mean, I'm on a 10 year old thing now that I'm about to explain like Mm -hmm. a crusade that I've been on for 10 years, but a a blockchain is just a database. No one fucking cares how a MySQL database works, which you've probably got 10,000 of them on your phone alone. Like literally every single app, your phone, everything has got a fucking MySQL relational database in it. No one cares how it works. It's fucking complicated as fuck. So is a blockchain. We don't actually need to speak about like, you know, well, with Bitcoin specifically, we do need to talk about mining and burning the planet down. But that's because that was a, that's a that's an industrial accident. Mm-hmm. It's computing's mm-hmm. first industrial. That's how you should see it. It's not malicious. It's it's an industrial accident. It's like fucking spilling. It's like uh, like what's the the deep water oil disaster? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Exxon Valdez thing yeah it's that but for computing basically it's a fucking Mm -hmm. huge mess and something needs to be done about it but it's but so we've got these databases and there's certain affordances when you have a cryptographically a a public cryptographically secure database that you can have that you don't get with a mysql database so you can't necessarily trust the person who's in charge of a normal database you can't trust them to change it they can't you can't trust them to update it um but a blockchain is a is is by consensus from a series of computational processes. Everyone agrees what's happening over there on this. Mm-hmm. You know, we can mm-hmm. all see it. We all agree what's going on. So you have these new affordances. One of the affordances that this database gives you, especially we're talking about the Ethereum network now, which has so-called smart contracts, is that you can generate value. 
So all, all that people have really spoken about for the last like three years with the NFT shit is the fact that people have created these non-fungible tokens, which are which is basically just a file format with extendable metadata on a public database. And inside that metadata is a link to a JPEG. I mean, it's not very elegant, but actually it's very interesting that you can have all of these extendable mechanisms around, around a piece of digital content. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we, we, we recognize is that we can, we, can, we can generate, we can create an organized value on a blockchain. The other things that we can do is that, you, is that, um, bl- is that blockchain technology is modular. So you can, um, is that all code stored on a blockchain can be called in, in a series of sequences or all at once. So you can now have modular code. And what this means is that, is that developers um, can extend other people's code. So very much like open source development, because it is open source development, all of the, the biggest chains are all essentially public domain code licensed under the GPL. Um, and it means that you can create and extend code, which is something that is actually far more difficult in the traditional way of looking at things where you have one person who owns the database and they decide to update the app. Whereas you personally in a, in a, in a kind of web three future can decide here is the cool set, the core set of tools that I want from this particular app, but I'm also willing to install the following other features and you know, be fully aware of the consequences mm-hmm. of those features in order to get X, Y, and Z benefit to myself, whether it's giving away your location or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you, yeah. and, and, and what these, um, so you have a series of tools which come together in services and those services become a product. And the, the, the vertically through those things is what I call a vertical of one. And that is the future of platforms. And that you find a route through all of the things that you find necessary, and then you and and that's basically how how things work. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, the last part of it is that these things are also permanent, so you can't remove things; you can only add. And through a series of uh, cryptographic keys, specifically proof of uh, what is it called? Uh, the thing that 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 is interest is really interesting is proof of witness. And what that means is, imagine you're playing a game like Total War or a real-time strategy game. And you know how you have like the fog of war and you can't see further? Yeah, command and combat yeah. style. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because of the way that video games work, where you have a client and a server, all of the information that's behind that black fog of war is available to you on your computer despite the fact that through the running of the, the code, you can't see it, it's still available to you because, because that's the way that the architecture works, mm-hmm. right? There's no, mm-hmm. way, there's no way that a game developer can prevent someone from seeing something in a client-server relationship because that's why you end up with hackers, or not necessarily hackers, but cheating. And, you know, you know mm-hmm. in COD, the, in, like playing Call of Duty, people can see through walls and, you know, like all of that sort of shit, right? And that's because mm-hmm. of the, the architecture of the, the client-server relationship. But what you can do with, with databases that are with blockchains is that you can genuinely hide information from the player. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. only that, you can genuinely hide things from the people that made the game. Yeah, <laughs> if it's so no, like a, no, more, no more Elden Ring speed runs where you've run through a wall and 
you know, yeah. finish the game in three minutes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or yeah. you end up with a different kind of speed run. Right, right. One where you um, actually have to go through the levels. This is the first time on Agitator that I've taken Lost Explorer style notes. But I felt oh, like shit. I did too. <laughs> I hope everyone feels that they they weren't they were here for Ippo and they just got a, a blockchain no, education. This is cool. This is cool because okay, so for and then you can build worlds. We can build worlds with this technology. It's like really okay, cool thanks. fucking shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like for somebody like me, who's a writer and a podcaster, what would you see that future looking like for for someone like you or me? Like, what does that what does that mean? Like, what can we? I mean, I get, I get this, that it's a, it's a proof of value, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, and then we have here, this is me going off my notes, uh, that it's modular, meaning that it's like open source, meaning you can build on it. You can't yeah. go back and change anything, but you can, you can build it out. And then there's also the, the idea of the vertical of one where you can pick and choose from different, different elements of these different, uh, programs, like be the right tools word or... services products the vertical yeah. is the plat is is becomes the platform so the platform yeah. is no longer like a horizontal thing like facebook right the horizontal things are the protocols in which the tools and services derive themselves sure. from their their utility from and then yeah and then the the what we think of a platform today is actually the vertical route through all of those things between you and the in the cloud or the world right. onto the okay. internet Okay, so what is what? Are, what are you doing? Well, you don't so, give away all your secrets or whatever, man. Like you got to cage. You got to. You I'm under some fucking heavy this. NDAs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't. But don't, don't do um, just imagine like a world where you imagine we're we're on you're on a service that's like Twitter, mm -hmm. and you want to play on the server where everyone's tweets where your tweets are you going to go join the group, the group of people whose tweets get deleted after six weeks or six hours mm -hmm. automatically. And because of the way the service works, I mean, unless someone screenshots it, what happens is, is the tweet either still stays alive and it just gets renamed, like came from this server, you know? So we're mm -hmm. all in it together. If you say something and it goes viral and everyone starts hating on you, actually what they end up hating on is the group of people who live by the mm -hmm. fact that their tweets delete after, after six hours or whatever. You know, um, so you can you can start to build platforms where my preference is that. Oh, I uh, my I pre my preference is that my tweets get deleted, or or my preferences is that actually all my tweets get renamed after after six weeks, and it's just like becomes like you know the name of the world or the server that I'm playing on, and then or I'm on the cooperative server. Or imagine playing Twitter where there's a group of you and you only have a million characters that you share between each other. Ooh. How cool would okay. that be? And if someone else yeah. wants to tweet something new, someone else has got to tweet, delete some other shit. Yeah, that's fantastic. No, that's that's really, that seems like a much more cool, because I do feel really constrained by the limitations of a lot of these places too. Like there are ways that Twitter could be cool. You know, what I mean, I'm talking about is applying the logic of world building or specifically like designing game, like virtual worlds to platforms. And this is what my, my book that I'm writing is about my metaverse mm -hmm. book is essentially what happened is, is that the history of the, the history of computing is, is innately tied up with the history of worlds. 
Because the first thing that ENIAC first ever did when they built it, when they built it in World War II, was to simulate trajectories of shells coming from howitzers or whatever, right? They literally, the first thing that computers ever did was simulate something. Mm-hmm. So we think about banking and all of that shit that's like adopted. They're not simulating the economy. They're just fucking moving money around in spreadsheets. It's not, you know, they're calculating, right. not simulating. Right. Like, and this is like a real big thing that that humanity is yet, is, it's going to take us hundreds of years to get over the idea that we're simulating stuff, not calculating anymore, you know, or we have the ability to simulate, not calculate the same way as like the printing press changed everything do you know what i mean mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but but to make a long long story short essentially what happened is is that when the um i say it's a long story let's go back in time are you familiar with james c scott's book um seeing like a state no so he has a concept called legibility which which is um so james c scott is an anarchist anthropologist seeing like a state is a fucking great book and his newest one as well um, on against the grain about civilization and barbarians and how barbar like you can't have civilization without barbarians, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's a history of of basically farming and who gets what grain and how it all works. But anyway, legibility is basically the is is this idea that evolves in the late 1700s to the beginning of the 1800s. Um, this is the first time I'm talking about this actually, um, mm. but. Uh, it evolves in Prussia, and the idea is is that we can calculate the real world, and we can calculate how much wood a forest has in it. And what happens is is that so the productive capacity of a of an oak forest, let's say, is however many tons of wood when we cut it all down. What happens is is that it turns out that all the undergrowth and when you you know and all, they're all like not all of them can be used because the trees don't grow straight and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. ends up happening is that the is that the Prussians decide to cut all the forest down and pl- plant them in rows. So you get scientific forestry or like the what we now call just for like modern forest mar- management, right? Where where you just see all of these trees in mm-hmm, rows, and, mm-hmm. which means that we can now calculate the productive capacity of a forest much easier and this is the beginnings of the logic of 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 the, mo- of the modern state so like like the way that that the the way that the census has this feedback loop between you as a human being and the way that you interact with the state and then because of the, the because the state is only can only see the things that it has stored about you in its database let's say that's how you are legible to the state so you, mm-hmm. so, so you, you end up in this feedback loop and the same thing happens in social media, right. Or in big platforms, like you are the product of the 32,000 data points about what adverts we're going to, you know, his interests are this, this, and this, and we're going to send him these adverts and, you know, he spent this many hours and location and so on and so forth, age demographics, all of that shit is legibility, right? The platforms can only mm-hmm. see you in a certain way. Um, so that's kind of like what that then brings us up into the modern era neoliberalism supercharges that, um, essentially with like credit yeah. scores and all of this shit. Um, in Prussia, you also get at exactly the same time as you get the development of the, of the concept of legibility. You also get the beginnings of Das Kriegspiel, the war game gets invented mm-hmm. so tabletop mm-hmm. war games and the simulation of worlds 
and watching them play out given it, given a set of rules begins at exactly the same time as we try to simulate a yep. forest. Right. So then you get this history of games and gaming continuing through playing out the world by um, uh, John Peterson is one of the best books ever written. Absolutely. It's this massive, thick book about the history of war games. If you want something that's a bit lighter, then I would recommend people listen to The Elusive Shift, which is also by John Peterson. Um, he's also going to be, he's also the executive producer on the new documentary about D&D that's coming out. But anyway, that's by the by. So anyway, the, the history of war games continues. And then, and then you get into the late 1800s and the early 1900s, you then get Kriegspiel basically becomes a thing that the army uses, which is fully like understood the state view of legibility and, you know, like fuel amounts and soldiers need this much to eat. And, you know, it understands a soldier through the, the bureaucracy <laughs> as much as mm -hmm. it understands the soldier as a person. Um, and the Kriegspiel becomes training exercises for um, officers. So you end up LARPing and role-playing. It's the beginning of LARP and role-play, essentially, in a structured manner with rule sets. Mm -hmm. And you also get the continuation of tabletop war games, you know, like H.G. Wells and so on and so forth, playing with their toy soldiers with rule sets. All of this goes right the way through to the 1970s, which, which is then you have computing, the beginning of neoliberalism, and you get D&D. &D. Mm. And those three things combine at MIT, <laughs> mm -hmm. at the same moment that the multidimensional database that we discussed earlier, the paper by J. Edgar Codd arrives this, uh, literally at the same time as everyone is playing D&D. &D. So you have this work, you have this computing technology, which is for simulations. D&D &D arrives, everyone understands that you can simulate, you can simulate an act within a simulated world or a system. And then you have this other view, which Experian has already like taken and, and, and like the banking revolution of the early, the computerized banking revolution of the early 70s. So we now have all these stats about people. So you end up in this like crazy, this, this crazy confluence of things, which is like, that's where modernity actually happens, in my opinion, is in, mm -hmm. is in this 1970s. And then neoliberalism comes along and ruins it, basically, <laughs> in the late 70s because it's more focused on the data points and the, you know, and the money. Like, yeah, 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 money. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, so then so in all computing systems up until the web comes along is basically versions of worlds. Like in the, in the early nineties, like MUDs or multi-user dungeons, like made up like half to 60% of all internet traffic. So right. th what, what the internet was for was to go a to a place and talk to other people. Yeah. You talk that about was, this in the GeoCities one too yeah about, yeah yeah the episode of 301 where you talk about geo cities and how they had this completely different idea neighborhoods of what the and internet, yeah they yeah, had neighborhoods yeah. and suburbs and they had Paris community managers and, and so yeah. on and so forth yeah 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 and then it basically all stopped when yahoo bought it and no what happens said, is is the, the web comes along mm -hmm. and can you imagine in the early 90s like the web was this is why i was talking about metaphors on that other episode of permanently moved is that it's like we were using all these metaphors like cyberspace and we were talking, you know, mm -hmm. the global mm -hmm. internet, whatever it was like, uh, the global village and the internet, what is it? The, the, the highway one, the information superhighway, the information superhighway. We're using yeah. all of these like metaphors, right. To explain the internet to people, 
But what we're actually, you know, that's we're actually explaining the internet. But what they're experiencing is the web, which was a, a very poor implementation of hypertext to begin with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And can you imagine in the nineteen in like nineteen ninety four trying to explain to someone that you can go online and you can go into a place where you can walk around and move from place to place and different people are in different places and it's all on inside the computer. You know what I mean? It's just mad. It's totally mad. People understand web pages. It's publishing. People get it. Right. It's like a page right. and it links right. to another page. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, we the yeah. web, the web has been a side quest and, uh, and, yeah. the, and the metaverse that everyone's talking about right now, whilst a very buzz buzzwordy word, is essentially what happens when we take sensibilities and three decades worth of understanding about how you build worlds and put people in them from video games. Mm -hmm. How do we bring that back into real, into the mainstream of culture? Because there's a, we're on a 30 year hiatus of what, what computers are for. <laughs> right. What their what actual I mean? purpose was besides being a bunch of landing pages and ways to sell mm. you shit. Basically. Yeah. 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 I mean, one second, I'm gonna go check on the kiddo, make sure he's good, because I have a follow-up question. This is great, by the way. This is awesome. I feel like I should have had a pre-prepared speech to like <laughs> hijack your audience. No, no, this is great because here's the thing. Uh, Agitator is about whatever I'm interested in, and I'm super interested in this. And what I like about talking to you is that if you can get these ideas across to me, who you know, I'm not stupid. I'm like midwit, you know. Like I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm more of like a flighty, creative guy who, whose understanding goes right up to functionality and then stops. Um, if I can understand what you're saying, then I think it's actually cool and important so the metaverse thing all these you mentioned nfts earlier metaverse all this shit gets like immediate pushback ai art all this kind of stuff you have an interesting take on all of this stuff which is that like what do you think is 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 all is like the is the backlash from the metaverse because it's it's ugly it looks like a bunch of we people like meta's metaverse i should say i what think my 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 suspicion is is that um facebook's meta online world thing looks the way it does so it doesn't scare the shit out of boomers which is its primary <laughs> audience <laughs> yeah because they could make a fucking thing that looks sick as fuck or like insane psychedelic as fuck. I mean, you can go on VR chat, you know, yeah, that runs right. on, you know, and that's mad. But like, it looks the way it does because it has to be bland and boring because boomers are bland and boring. <laughs> <laughs> because if they walked into a room and saw like an enormous minotaur sucking off the devil, they'd be like, well, this seems terrifying, right? This, yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's on a screen that's like five millimeters away from your eyeballs which i mean but to me that would be awesome i'd be like oh cool i'm home yeah <laughs> so I, we have to it, wait as as with many things we just have to wait for them to die and then things yeah. can become cool <laughs> yeah the generational shift is required yeah uh-huh uh -huh. but that's the that's the thing though right is that 
is that the, the the existence of worlds and like what computers are meant to be for have, have haven't gone away but they've also been stewarded by some of the worst aspects of our fucking culture mm-hmm. like gamer dudes <laughs> gamer pros and i apologize mm-hmm. to anyone that's listening to this that identifies as a gamer bro but like mm-hmm some of the, the some of the actions that your 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 identity or the, your group of people have been responsible for on social media have like has toxified it for everybody hmm. you know like gamergate literally was a moment in online culture that became the template for everything else that's followed since in what way i'm very interested i consider myself a gamer bro so i'm interested yeah me too me too but i mean like the the things that were done in our name let's say you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the way that the the misogynistic attacks that were relentless, you mm-hmm. know, and did destroy mm-hmm. people's lives. And it's it's not right. It's not cool. I mean, all of social media is fucking bollocks. You don't go out and like, but you don't use it to destroy someone's life. Counterpoint. <laughs> what counterpoint? Why do girls have to play games though? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, I, I, I have a chapter in my book where I'm talking about how Microsoft built the world's biggest, well, built the first global mm-hmm. voice network, interactive voice network. We're all, right. you know, super happy with the idea of talking on Zoom and getting on Zoom calls with 30 people, 60 people, hundreds of people, right? Sure. When Xbox Live launched, that was the key feature that had live chat and you were in groups and in rooms with people and you could communicate. If you go and watch the very first Xbox Live adverts, they are so fucking cringe. Like shit talking mm-hmm. is literally a thing that they're like, yeah, you can get on there and just fucking talk shit to people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Was it, was it you who was it's saying like, this, that it's like that there are, I think this was you. This sounds like something you would say where we've been on Twitter playing this game and there's been a completely sort of parallel but almost never, almost never touching stream of online interaction that is the gamer chat room, right? And that's the game that they've been playing. Yeah. And so I've experienced this once I got back into video games. <clears throat> so I finally had things to talk to some friends about that I hadn't spoken to in years yeah. because I'd been so... And the only way you can talk to them is by playing a game together, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we play Call of Duty, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm terrible at. And, you know, they're like, it's okay, bro, don't worry. I'm getting plugged by a fucking 12-year-old somewhere. And, but when you talk to, like, they they have no idea what you're talking about with Twitter. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're on a different like, social network. They're in a different, they're just in a different bubble. Like Yeah. and But it's know. like, it's almost like. Reality them, tunnel. Like, Well, they are in a different reality tunnel, but what's interesting about it is like those, a lot of those guys have really good careers now. And a lot of them have kids and families and they've, it's almost like when I was 15, my PlayStation 2 got the red ring of death. And I said, Mm -hmm. I'm not playing video games anymore. I'm going to learn how to skateboard. And Facebook came out and I was like, okay, I'm going to use this to talk to girls. And, you know, I was very girl crazy at the time right right and i had friends when who we were like <laughs> yeah and then i had friends who were not as girl crazy and they were more into the games and they they stuck with it mm-hmm. but down that path of chasing which you know talking to girls kind of it's a kind of sociability right uh down that path led me to facebook well myspace facebook twitter that's the evolution yeah. for me 
and they never went through that. And so in a weird way, by playing these games with all the shit talk and everything, they ended up without these hangups that I have. They could have hangups of their own. I'm sure they do. But mm-hmm. I, I don't see the ones that I have. So yeah. in a weird way, it's like being a shut-in gamer might have been the better choice. I think about that sometimes. You're talking about going back and seeing like how your It's life just a look. hobby though, right? At the end of the day, yeah. it's a social hobby. And so is Twitter. Twitter is just a fucking right. hobby. But you know? the people who have the social hobby that's video games for the most part, understand it as such, right? Because yes. it's a very, it's yes. a clear game, right? No, it's because the rest of culture considers it to be a hobby. Right, right. But Twitter is life to these people. This, the, like, people think that Twitter is real life. Yeah, but, but have you ever met me. someone who's like really into musical theater or whatever, and they go to all the Broadway shows and it's like the most important thing in the world to them? It's their fucking life. Yeah. You I know, know I, and that's actually, a hobby. Yeah. 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 You know, it's the same, it's exactly the same thing, but like theater, theater kids and twitter people <laughs> are just like in that same thing they're they're, they're literally like the, i did that episode last year on brainworms, right where you go into a world and then you and then you become so accustomed to how the world operates that when you leave the world you expect the new world that you've stepped into or the real world to operate in the same way as the world that you've just come from you know yeah yeah and, and it doesn't work it, that way it doesn't work that way at all so for you i know you still post on twitter so it's just kind of the same idea that I have of just like strict limited use. I know you restarted your Tumblr. You said to me the other week, no scrolling. Yeah. 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 That's how I'm operating. on. I've never left Tumblr. I mean, I've been running Solarpunk since 20. Oh, really? Been running. Yeah. I've been running Solarpunk since 2014. Oh, so. I thought you had just gone, gone back to it. Yeah. I never. Like you had rebooted it. No, I've ne- I, I never left. I just never used to cross post or whatever yeah no i've been on twitter i've tumblr for i've been through it all <laughs> but the, you know what was really funny yeah. and this is like the new car smell thing with social media because i i went back to my tumblr which is still was still there which was very bizarre it had been seven or eight years since i posted i think and it was so funny mm-hmm. because like my header image was of the book this was, this was 10 years ago because the header image was of a book that came out 10 years ago and the picture is me with a dickhead fucking swoop haircut, like just little skinny guy, you know, and like, I, I actually, I had a plaid shirt on at the same time. I, your plaid shirt looks great, but, uh, it's a jacket actually. <laughs> a, a what? <laughs> a jacket and a shirt, man. Oh, a jacket. Gotcha. It's like fleece. There we go. Yeah. It's cozy, toasty, comfy, cozy, cozy core over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Uh, but like I went back and it was so fascinating. I was really into like the glitch art shit back then. So like all my posts are just, you know, these like cyberpunk of... as fuck. Yeah, I was still there. I was still there. I just hadn't, yeah. full... I still thought that I was writing this country grit lit type stuff. But, um, but no, it felt really good to go to Tumblr and type in cyberpunk and sort of see whatever had been hashtagged that way. Because there wasn't as much as I thought. Maybe it was just you know how it was organized, but it actually. Tumblr is notoriously badly organized. Yeah, <laughs> but it, at the same time, it felt like I don't know. Maybe there's something to that bad organization though, because I felt like oh, these are people who I yeah, could, it's, a, it's definitely a feature. Yeah, I could reach out to. Well, not reach out to in terms mm-hmm. of like, hey, you how can are just you? follow them, right? Or you can reblog yeah. them. 
And you know? I don't know like, them. Like a lot of them are kids. You demonstrate and... your taste by retweeting or reblogging something. Exactly. To versus, come back to this thing. Versus Twitter where Just you are retweeting to, you know, express. Climb the ladder. To climb the ladder. How do you feel about like high score? Get the high score. <laughs> get the high score. Right, right. So how do you, so you your approach to to life then? Do you? I'm trying to think of how to frame this question because I know what I want to say. I've been thinking a lot in terms of the writing. I'll bring it back to the writing world, right? And there's yeah. this idea that you need to write a book, get an agent, get published, and then you become Stephen King, and you have people lining up so that you can sign their books and it's this but the whole industry therefore has you by the nuts because they control the distribution mechanisms and they have the the network of people and all this kind of stuff and none of that appeals to me like climbing ladders doesn't appeal to me so i was wondering mm -hmm. how you how you felt about stuff like that like are you a <sighs> saying are you a climber sounds like a load no impression. i mean i totally get it i mean there's a i mean there's a big part of me that was like acculturated in that gen x so i'm i'm two years older than you am i mm -hmm. i'm 38 this year right so yeah yeah when's so, your birthday What's, and also your social security number <laughs> my mother's maiden name and the mother's name of my name. first pet uh-huh yeah. <laughs> um uh so I grew up in a in the hardcore punk scene in my fucking shithole end of end of the end of the world town. Mm -hmm. Like you can't. I grew up in the southeast of England, and like I could see France from the clifftop, which was like six minutes walk from my house. <laughs> Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like at the farm that my grandparents grew up on was like is like again six minutes walk from my house. My my nana was born there. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's like mm -hmm. yeah, but it's a fucking shithole, and it's like the North Sea. And like it rains sideways in winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bleak. Everything like everything is like from the nineteen is like everything is rusty and crumbling. Like mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean it's probably it's I mean, obviously England is a very different place to America, but like some of the seaside towns in the UK are kind of like the Rust Belt in America. And I'm mm -hmm. not saying it's like because of the industry has gone, but it's because tourism has gone because everyone used to go on holiday to Margate and then planes got invented and everyone fucked off to Spain instead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So everything, so, yeah. yeah, so everything was fucking just crumbling, you know, Sure. like yeah. everything, everything's got concrete cancer. When I was back over Christmas, all the roofs of all of the major like theaters and like the big museums, the roofs are caving in. <laughs> And like, you can't walk on them anymore because it's too dangerous. Yeah. Right. And meanwhile, yeah. Anyway, so I grew up in this environment. I grew up in the punk rock scene, but there was literally like a hundred people ages 16 through to maybe 25. <laughs> and it was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 150 of us and we made music and we played music for each other. And that was fucking punk rock DIY, not EMI motherfucker. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? That was it. Mm -hmm. Then I went mm -hmm. to university and then what two things happened. One, my band almost got signed to an indie label that was distributed mm -hmm. by a major, my band at the time, who more people now have heard it since it's been on YouTube <laughs> than at sense. the time. But do yeah. you know what Don't I mean? Don't you love it when that happens too? When yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you found that now. Yeah, our, our, weirdly, <laughs> our, a track from our unreleased EP, for some reason, somehow got, got put on like a 
best of British und- like un- undiscovered emo or some shit, and it's got Let's like go. twenty thousand. <laughs> tw- yeah. That whole playlist has got like twenty thousand views or something. Anyway, so I grew up th- it, with that attitude, and then the 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 getting signed fell through. I thought it was going to be a rock star, and then I went to university and I went and did philosophy of the arts. So it was music and philosophy. And then it was like learning about major labels, learning about the system, you know, learning about like how everything works. And you realize all of that's a fucking lie as well. Like who wrote all of Michael Jackson's songs? No one fucking knows because actually Mm -hmm. it wasn't him. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. he, like all the lyrics anyway, or Madonna or so on and so forth. Like all of these things that we think are, they're all, they're not independent creators. They had teams of people around them making them who they are. Yep. And not only that, this is also another rant and we're, we're coming up on time. This is another rant, mm-hmm. but the thing, is, and this also is the same thing on social media as well, is that the audience bear as much as responsibility as the creator for, for the, for the, for whatever the thing is that the artist has created for what it becomes, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. you write a book or you write a piece of music, make a film, you put it out into the world and the audience love it. And they have as much as responsibility as you are, or you do for where it ends up in culture. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a thing that's not fully appreciated when you're in like the, the network system. Anyway, I got sucked into social media like everyone else and wanted to climb the ladder, but then I realized actually, fuck it. Just, it's not yeah. about how many people are listening. It's about who's listening. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we were talking about this a couple of months ago. I, I think I said it on my podcast about if you're a Twitch streamer and you've got seven people watching you, imagine having seven people in your fucking living room. It'd be really cozy. It'd be a little yeah. cramped you know yeah exactly and those people show up week on week seven people awesome right right i think all of our expectations brainwormed about how many people or whatever especially i mean we were in podcasting the numbers are so much lower for who you than any other medium if you get more than 150 downloads in 30 days you're in the top 50 percent of all podcasts yeah, I know. I know, which is you know? why, like, when this podcast started getting its numbers, I was like, I looked at that and I was like, that can't be right. Yeah. It's like, wait, we're in the top 10%. Mm-hmm. That's, Same. That's, yeah, exactly. That's crazy. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's very weird. But I think that, so it's this poll, right? And this is a this is a theme of the show. What you just said is a theme of the show. So I really relate to the, the DIY aspect and this value that's put on... Um, I know authenticity is a word that people debate about, but I like it. I like to use it. The idea mm-hmm. that there's a creator who made something uh, and that who then shares it and it's either liked or disliked by other people. And that being important, not having a team, uh, having a, a small group, but a very, you know, kind of rabid and interested group. And then the trick between those two things is making money. So how is how is Web three going to help me make money? As we'll we'll call that the final question. <laughs> Web ge- well, I, it just I mean it generates its own value mm-hmm. to begin with. Like the question is is how much do we think that that value is worth anything? Mm-hmm. The real question is actually is with the, all the fucking central bank digital currencies and shit. Like who do you want to print the money? Do you want the fucking digital fed to print the money or do you want the open source money where everyone can mm-hmm. see the code which one is it because that's the real question that's the big mm-hmm. fight that's coming in the next five years is that going to last the rest of our lives that fight it will yeah, yeah. but it, it's it's the one that's coming and that's maybe, the big question do you want that. open source money or do you want closed source money 
I want open source money, I, I guess. Do I? I don't know. What should I think? This is what guests are supposed, this supposed is the, to give this me is what the, I think. <laughs> I mean, my opinion is, is that if you remember back to the 90s, there's the Linux situation. Open source code beats closed source code 99.9% .9 of the time, unless there's yeah. regulation or intervention right. by the mark, like, you know, by monopolies in the market. Mm-hmm. All of the web browsers that we use are open source. All the codecs that we're using inside of Zoom to speak to each other are all, are all actually open source codecs. You know what I mean? There's like, mm -hmm. like Linux beat everything else, but because of the way it was licensed as open source or like the various MIT licenses and so on and so forth and not straight GNU license, which is like, if you make a change to the code, you have to publish it. Micro, well, Google, Facebook, built enormous fortunes off the back of open source software, value trillions of dollars in valuation or whatever, you know, Amazon basically is running all on open source software <laughs> as well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and the final bit is to have a complete tech stack, which is completely open source where the value at the other end, the front end is captured by the same network that generates it. Mm. Wouldn't it be sick if Google just gave us all money? I mean, they got a lot of it. Yeah. They sent us all like 50 bucks. I always, I think that would be. I mean, the other thing about this is, is that like, if you speak to Zoomers, I don't know how many speak Zoomers that you speak to, but I teach Zoomers at, un at universities. So like, think about how old they are mm -hmm. and what they've mm -hmm. been through. And the iPhone came out in 2008. The app store opened a year later. They've all grown up in fucking a world where you play a game like Bejeweled Blitz and you have 15 different fucking currencies with diamonds and gems and coins and treasure chests and all of this fucking shit. Not only that, it's worth something because you put six ninety nine in, you get 10 gems and 300 coins back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like well, that's grown up in this fucking hellscape. That to me. So I'm very intimidated by zoomers. I'm scared of them. I don't like to talk. I don't even like to look at them because uh, I never know what they're going to do. Uh, but I, I get your point, And that is super, super interesting that, yeah, they're playing these games where it's like, uh, what are some of these card games? Um, like Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone? Sure, yeah, yeah. Like League of Legends or Marvel Snap. Yeah. Yeah. NBA. So they, what's the NBA one? That's built on the blockchain. No idea. Anyway. No idea. But lots to think about. This was awesome. Yeah. This is awesome. You're uh, kind of, you know, we have a lot of rappers on the show and uh, we have some smart. Oh, on I totally place. fucking forgot to mention, man. I got something to Ippo, like, because I'm like, I drew some fan art. Ooh, let's go. That's cool. Hold on. Let me screenshot it. That's really good. That's, but wait, but did you have a reference for that? Because you, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I can't right, fucking. Right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, you know. Like, I'll draw something from scratch. I'm wondering if you're talk. putting things together in like just words and you're like, okay, a line that goes this direction. But that's badass. And uh, I just love everything that you put out. And uh, I know you're never going to stop. I know that you're you're big on people just making shit. That's a huge part of this show. Who was it that you had on the other week that was like, just doing it who was talking Barrett? about just fucking yeah well, what was the line that he said just fucking uh, doing it yeah he was like he said fucking do it but what the thing that really got me about what he said was that this only works if we all do it 
Yeah. I do like that. Part. I think it's, it, I think, I think he should add doing it together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. it's just everyone fucking doing it and doing it together. It's like what needs to happen right now. Cause it's, it's early. Like this is the, this is the early thing. Everyone else is dealing with the collapse of institutions and everything else. <laughs> and what we're doing is creating stuff and coming together and like forming networks and doing it together. Like yeah. Broken River Books is a perfect example, right? Of right. like bros doing it together and doing yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, that's what I I basically I saw that what I was able to do as a small press was not very much because I had mm-hmm. no money. And so when I was attempting to get, uh, not even attempting, when I was getting authors on board with this, I was continuously disappointed with what I couldn't do for those books. And so when I look out at the publishing world now, indie publishing in particular, but this goes all the way to the top, you know, the big five don't really do shit for these books either, unless they're dead on sure that this is going to be a hit. So I started feeling really bad about that you know it's like you put your trust in me and i have two hundred dollars to do something yep. with it it's not gonna work so broken river yeah, i mean it's is just like, punk as fuck there right yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's punk but it's also like you know the way it is now is like it's more of a collective and we we work together to sort of promote our stuff through various tricky ways that i won't divulge because they're that's that's uh for another episode but um but we're all at the same time, like we're all in control of our own books, right? Like yeah. I don't, I don't make money if Kelby sells his books, you know, like, but I still have an urge to help him number one, cause he's my friend and number two, because we're all in this shit together and it only works if we all do it. Yeah, exactly. Man, I want to come back home once uh, Kelby's dad and shit. Yeah, you should. I want to speak you... to him. Yeah. Listen to a, his suki, his silky radio voice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's got like, yeah. Apologies to everybody who's just had to listen to to, to me. Us fucking uh, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like this is not a regular agitator. I don't think we finished a single thread that we talked about. We just barreled through a whole bunch of oh, that's that's crazy me, shit. That's yeah, me. whatever. That's me. Just one thing to the next. But I I feel like I know everything that there is to know about uh, the future now. So that's good. Oh yeah. Thanks so much, dude. Yeah, man. All right. And where's the fucking, I can never find this button. Oh, hey, I should probably like say where the people can find me. That would be a thing that a smart thing a creator can do. You should. Yeah. I almost hit stop recording. but Oh my God. We almost. (laughs) That that would be a smart thing. Without the plug. We almost ended the whole episode. But yeah, where can people find you? You can find me at thejmo.net, which is my blog, and I have links to everything else there. My podcast is called permanentlymoved.online, and that's the weekly podcast that's five minutes long. It's an essay show and tightly scripted. And I have a new show coming out soon called experience.computer, and JDO will be a guest on it. Perfect. His suki, his silky radio voice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's got like, yeah. Apologies to everybody who's just had to listen to to, to me. Us fucking uh, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like this is not a regular agitator. I don't think we finished a single thread that we talked about. We just barreled through a whole bunch of oh, fucking hey, that's that's crazy me, shit. That's yeah, me. whatever. That's me. Just one thing to the next. But I I feel like I know everything that there is to know about uh, the future now. So that's good. Oh yeah. Thanks so much, dude. Yeah, man. 
find this button oh hey i should probably like say where the people can find me that would be a thing that a smart thing a creator can do you should do yeah that. i almost hit stop recording but oh my you, god you, uh, we almost <laughs> that would that be a smart the, thing without the plug we almost ended the whole episode but yeah where can people find you <laughs> you can find me at thejmo.net which is my blog and i have links to everything else there my podcast is called permanently moved.online and that's the weekly podcast that's five minutes long it's an essay show and tightly scripted and i have a new show coming out soon called experience.computer and jdo will be a guest on it perfect